The reviews are in, and Secrets is a hit. Listeners have described Secrets as priceless information, a personal cheat sheet, and binge-worthy career advice. And Season 3 promises to bring you even more secrets on how to advocate for yourself, how to become a better ally, and how to get that coin. Your hosts, Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson, put in that work to reach the top of corporate America. And this groundbreaking podcast challenges you, as well as corporate America, to be better and do better. KP and PR will bring you more tips and tricks on how to advance in your career. So fill up those cups and welcome to Season 3. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Secrets. And today at Secrets, we are celebrating two milestones. First, this is our 50th episode today. Ricky and I knew from the beginning that we had at least 50 episodes in us, (laughs) but to actually reach that milestone is truly, truly special. But even more special about this episode is that we are going to celebrate the recent ascension of my brother, Ricky, to the chief level, (laughs) to the ranks. Welcome to the ranks, Ricky. So this is a major accomplishment and totally worthy of our 50th episode on Secrets. Well, well, look, Keith, uh, 50 episodes is a huge deal for us. It is. I mean, especially when we are having just so much fun with this platform. Mm-hmm. I mean, we sometimes record, you know, two, three episodes, you know, at a time. We talk about this stuff all the time. We're talking to our listeners all the time. So just a huge deal. And to think. We were sitting right in here in right our here. in our studio, studio. With, the, with the rabbit ear, the, the right. ear quotes here, trying to figure out what we were going to do what and we how do. we were going to do it. And we just looked today. We have over 11,000 downloads. Mm-hmm. 11,000. So this 50th Unique episode. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. So this 50th episode is going to be huge for us. So this is a big deal. And let me say this about me. Okay, now, you know, I don't really like to do this type of stuff. Let me say this about me. That's right. I am so appreciative of all the support from my personal board of directors and my extended village that played like an integral part in me ascending to this level in my career. Something to be said for chasing your dreams. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And not giving up, being resilient, being resilient. And so today. I'm putting Ricky in the hot seat <laughs> That's right. and celebrating his recent appointment as chief people officer at WISC. Y'all watch out, WISC. Y'all got something coming. Y'all watch out. And now y'all know what Keith asking questions. You know, he ain't going to hold his tongue. <laughs> no doubt. So in today's episode, I will be interviewing Ricky. And as many of you have learned from Ricky in many different ways, I'm going to drill down a little bit today and we'll dig into Ricky's leadership journey and some of the lessons he's learned along the way. And we'll explore his aspirations for the future as he moves into the chief ranks. We'll also, as we always do, provide some receipts. And today will be about around representation levels for chief HR officers and other interesting statistics on CHROs. And we'll close out with secrets from Ricky right, (laughs) on how you can become a CHRO. What are the keys to getting to that level? So you ready? I think I'm ready. Let's go ahead and make it make it do what it do. Make it do what it do. So, Ricky. 
I know we haven't specifically called out our resumes, except for kind of that very first episode Mm -hmm. where we're introducing ourselves to people. But I think it's important for people to understand the various roles and some of the type of industries and companies that you've been a part of over your career. So why don't you just take our listeners again through some of your career journey? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I'll start out with, I remember when I was first trying to get involved in human resources, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. It's like, you know, you do an internship or you do something. I was just trying to do whatever I could yeah, to graduate. trying to get a job. Yeah, I was it, trying to graduate, and then I was trying job. to get me a little job, right? And I laughed because, remember, you were clowning me about this not too long ago. All I really wanted to do was make $50,000 a year. <laughs> I just to make $50,000 a year and retire. Try right? that now with Ricky. See what you get. <laughs> exactly. $50,000 a year and retire. I just wanted to get some rims on my car, man. You know, I wanted yep. to give you a little beat, give me a nice little apartment. Mm-hmm. That's really, I mean, that, that was, was it. That was it for like the dreaming. And that was, you know, I really came from humble beginnings as we talked about. But I remember someone saying that HR is like a woman's job, you mm-hmm. know, and it, you can't really get ahead in there and this, that, and the other. So I, again, I'm listening to the wrong people, right? uneducated right. folks. Getting you know? bad advice. And when you go in there, you see it's a lot of men in HR in some of the leadership roles, you sure. know, too, right? Mm-hmm. So I started out in HR doing, I would say, workplace violence manuals, right? Before okay. before there was even like we had training. Before you had you know, the internet. You could say it. Yeah, yeah. Look yeah. At before, <laughs> before, we the internet. before we had online training and all that stuff, I was like part of a group that would have to go in. This is my first job, like my, like my internship. And then I got hired there. And man, I had to go into some very tough situations and tell people like some of the things to look out for in disgruntled employees. It was like mm. went into the post office after there was like an event, you okay. know, there, so to yep. speak. Went into like a Wells Fargo after there was an event there. And so I'm putting together workplace violence manuals. And what I realized is that people in all of these situations, I know how we vilify people, you know, mm-hmm. when you when you read about them on the, in the paper or you hear about it on the news, most of these people really just didn't get treated with respect on the way out. That's right, yeah. Some kind of way. Some kind of way. They didn't get their 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 time in the sun to say whatever it is they needed to say, and we treated them like they were dispendable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. And it was through that work that made me say, there's a better way. Yeah. You got to mm-hmm. treat people with respect on All the, the way in no, the door and on the way out. And no matter know? what level they're at. And, and that became like a personal challenge for me because I started seeing some of the folks who were deemed as issues or problem children, some of them look like me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some of them were like other BIPOC individuals. Like, And I was like, man, this, this shit ain't right. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, there's got to be some way we can kind of fix this. So, you know, I start out from a, doing a job like that to then doing like a job doing payroll. Mm-hmm. And back then it was like manual payroll. It was payroll. all manual. So, yeah. man, you talk about being nervous, you know, Ooh. especially when you count people's money. Oh, yeah. People don't play when yeah. it comes to their check. And I remember my mom said, you doing HR? She says, baby, now don't mess up on nobody money. Right. <laughs> so she That's true. Me, they need their money. You mm-hmm. know, so I remember working at a nonprofit, man, and they didn't have all of these fancy human resource information systems. It was like we was doing shit on spreadsheets. Yes. I had the calculations on what needed to be taken out of yep, checks, yep. <laughs> you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff. So that stuff. it was an important job. And then people were asking me about their benefits. So when I'm talking about getting started, 
I was doing like the grunt work. Of I was course. doing like that tactical work, but yep. it was doing that job that really the first job yep. with employee relations and the, yep. and the, the manuals. Mm -hmm. And then this job with the pay. Yep. I was like, this this job is kind of important. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and I think the next job was the one that kind of set it off for okay. me. So the next job, you know, I ended up doing staffing and recruiting. Okay. Okay. I'm like, man, this can't be that hard. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? You just, I'm going to career fairs. I'm going to hire people. Like, this can't be that hard, right. you know? But then you start looking at why are people leaving the organization? Mm -hmm. You're looking at bad hires. And again, this is before we had the internet, man. People right. was faxing in their resumes and they yep. cover letters. They was yep, doing yep, stuff yep. like that, right? It wasn't really a lot of email, but I was physically going up and down the coast, the Pacific coast, like uh, mm -hmm. in, up here in California and in Southern California to really uh, find people. This is, I was working at Pizza Hut back in go. the day, man. All right. So All right. I was in, in. That's in, when the pizza was actually good. Yeah, it was, I used man. to love them, uh, them pan pizzas. They oh, were so man. good, but now. And you know how we get down mm -hmm. over there. Like the, I was in one of the, the locations and stuff, man. So we was like, I wonder what would happen if I put this on a pizza. <laughs> we was up there experimenting, <laughs> right. you know. But I think the joy of like doing that staffing and recruiting job was I got to do something at every level, whether that be helping like the delivery drivers deliver mm -hmm. pizzas on a Super Bowl Sunday, mm. whether it be going in there with the uh, the guy that actually makes the dough, mm -hmm. whether it be going with the general managers to kind of figure out how to order product. And the reason that I did it that way is because I wanted to, if I'm trying to recruit for the organization. Yeah, you need to know what they actually do. I want to know what they do and what type of person can be successful, yeah. you know, at this job. And I use those three jobs as the catalyst or the foundation for how I got doing what I was doing, right? Mm -hmm. And But I had an ability to kind of impact the organization by bringing in more women, yep. bringing in more underrepresented people mm -hmm. and giving them a shot, you yep. know? Because sometimes people say, man, I don't want to work for pizza. Man, make right. your pizzas. But then I'm like, you know what? This is Pepsi. That's right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This jobs. is like, this There's is way bigger than that, yeah. you know? And I got an opportunity, man, to, to really just excel. So, I mean, I went from there and then I... Got into doing employer relations again for another company that actually went out of business. But mm. I was hey, I was so happy they was about to pay me my fifty thousand dollars. You know, yeah, I was about <laughs> to get all of that, man. And you went from there and got multi-site responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I worked in nonprofit food and beverage. I worked in uh, distribution centers. Then I went into retail. Okay, you know. Then mm -hmm. I did like sales mm -hmm. and then high tech. Yep, med tech. Med -tech. Like. I kind of did it all, Just like from there. On up. So, so, and, and the thing about me actually doing, you know, moving around in different industries is I wanted to be able to showcase like my learning agility. Yeah, sure. like so that I didn't get pigeonholed. So I didn't stay in distribution. I didn't stay in retail. I didn't. I always wanted to kind of figure out if what I knew or what I could do was applicable. Yeah, transferable to a whole bunch of different industries. Absolutely. And that's kind of like like the journey at the end of the day, which takes me to where I am today is just I've always been someone who hasn't been necessarily afraid of a challenge. Yeah. Whether that be domestic roles or roles with international responsibilities, like Bryden came a long way from Oklahoma City. Yeah. You know yeah, what I'm saying? No I came a long no way doubt. from LA, man. <laughs> you know, and, and, and but it was part of me being able to kind of just challenge myself a little mm -hmm. bit there. Mm -hmm. Now, I get that. And it, it makes a lot of sense. Tell me a little bit about some of the titles that you had along the way. And if it was, 
if it was uh, kind of a, a linear pattern up where you hit every kind of job, manager, the senior manager, director, was it like that or did you skip over or how, how did that work for you? Yeah. So let me see. So I had some individual contributor roles mm-hmm. where I was like uh, an HR representative. Mm-hmm. Okay. I had some people uh leadership jobs where I was senior HR manager, which is more or less like a generalist. Um, I had the specialist or the functional specialty roles Mm -hmm. where that was staffing and recruiting or employee relations. So I kind of moved around so that I could be, again, and this is words that like Lisa Tomlinson told me one time is my number one sponsor and mentor that I had, my very first one, who said, if you want to be good in HR, mm-hmm. if you really want to get to the top, you're going to have to master more than one function yeah, within yeah. here. So I've had several of those roles where some of them were probably laterals, but later in my career, it was really all about getting larger people leadership roles. So yes. I went from domestic, you know, with some of the senior HR manager, but once I got to the director level, mm-hmm. that's when it was multi-site mm-hmm. responsibilities mm-hmm. And at the senior director level, it was international responsibilities. And then at the VP, now it's like I'm actually writing strategy. Yes. You know, now I'm supporting the the presidents of yep. a division yep. or of a function or something like that. You know, when you get to the VP yep. you know, level, now you're starting to work with boards mm-hmm. and you're starting to do that. So it's like it's managing an awful lot. So I think my career probably has ascended yeah. to that. And I think through... Once I got to one level, mm-hmm. I started to see, well, maybe I could probably go a little bit higher. Yeah, you know, yeah, maybe yeah. I could probably go a little bit higher. So we we surpassed that $50,000 a year like 20 years ago now, right? <laughs> like, I mean, it just, sometimes you just, if you can't see what see you want to be, that's right. you know, if that's you right. can't actually touch it or if you don't know someone who's doing that. Right. Sometimes you feel like it's just unobtainable. No, it's very true. I mean, because we came from parent, you know, families that weren't very rich. Yeah, right? absolutely. So, I mean, $50,000 is a lot of money in mm-hmm. my household where mm-hmm. I grew up, and I'm sure it was in yours as well uh, along absolutely. the way. And I do remember your first VP role because that's when we first met. Yep, yep. In the, in the airport at the Southwest Airline. Well, I was so happy to be a VP. I didn't read I none of that fine print. Boy, I told you, boy, I didn't read none. I was, ooh, I'm a VP. I didn't, man. He didn't even care. He was good to go. <laughs> and we've talked about this before. And you just mentioned Lisa as an example. But who are some of those key people in your life? Because I know you didn't do this all alone. You know, yeah, we talk yeah. about this. This whole bootstrap stuff is all BS. Um, we all have help along the way. So who were some of those key people around you, board of directors, and gave you critical advice and support? And what was what did some of that look like, feel like, sound like? I had some leaders who challenged me. I'll look at... Some of like a Lisa Tomlinson when I was working with uh, Pepsi and Pizza Hut, who to this day is one of my, she's on Team Ricky, mm-hmm. you know, put it that way. She will absolutely give me the truth at all costs. At like, all like, costs. like yeah, no, pick nope. your face up, Ricky, because this is what I'm going to tell you. Like, don't look sad because you know you didn't do what you, what you should have done, you right. know. But it was her like really sitting down with me like after hours mm-hmm. and saying, how do you think that presentation went? You probably could have done something different there. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could have done this. And it was like, hey, I know I know the baby is young. I know this, that, and the other. You're going to have to get all that under control. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, you got to get you some child care. You're going to have to get some mm-hmm. of these things. Like, it was some of those conversations that really, really kind of helped me out. It was like the Vince Woodards. You know, when I was at Gap, when I was in California and I moved out to uh, Gallatin, Tennessee. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I didn't know nothing about it. That brother had me come down there. He was like, look, man, 
I think you can do this. Like you have something that we don't have. And he really believed in me Mm -hmm. and gave me a shot. He was like, look, you can buy your first home out here. Mm -hmm. You can do this. If you do these things, you will be able to get back to California. You can do a international role. And and I just went, that was one of the first shots where I think I went hard. Like I drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, and and I went all in and that brother to this day, if I ask him for something, he delivers, you know, for me. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and so I think from that standpoint, it was really helpful, but I would say even like in my last role, you know, I had a Deborah Yant. Mm -hmm. This woman, man, when I tell you like, that is my girl, Deborah Yant is Mm -hmm. my girl. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She said, she would sit down and she would say, and she was always real practical about it, but the way she would just zoom out and just see things from a different point of view or perspective and yep. say, what about this? Hey, you're showing up great. I like when you're doing this, but maybe you could do a little bit more of this. And mm-hmm. maybe you. she would put me in positions where I could show up. Like she recognized where my superpowers were. Yeah. And it she made sure you could show those a- off. Absolutely. And then when, when I wasn't in the room, mm-hmm. I knew for sure she was talking about Team Ricky. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. and, I, and I think the biggest part of when I think about like my board of directors, it wasn't always people who were ahead of me. Yeah. It was some people who were on my team who could kind of shoot it to me straight and be like, hey, boss, this idea probably ain't that good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? And that's maybe, important. Yeah. Maybe that's we so could do it this way. You know, hey, or it's like, hey, I, I really appreciate how you did this. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this for you and you could do this. Right. I mean, I think knowing like those boundaries, having some people, you know, who were like in my corner that way was helpful. But I think the biggest part on the board of directors is having peer level people, Yeah, you know, who can yep. break it down for you. I mean, mm-hmm. Keith, I remember you and I sitting down and talking oh, yeah, and I was yeah. like, Keith, I'm not up to speed on the P&L stuff. He yep. was like, OK, hey, let's have some of these these, these P&L classes for dummies here. Yep. These are some yep. of the basics. And we started talking about that to the point where I was like, I think it'd be great for my team. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, to get yeah, some yeah. of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so I think having some of those peer level discussions, me meeting with like a Devin Brown, who's like a brother to me, man, who really said, hey, you know what? I know you're mad right now, but I'm going to need you to think about <laughs> this. Right. And he would like or talk to me to about, he talked to me about the money, mm-hmm. you know, that was on the table. He talked to me about the bigger picture yep. that was on the table. Like those types of things, like the Artie Millers, the TK Herons, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like those people like that were really like i would say are really good sounding boards and part of my mm-hmm. board of directors i think even like a marcy dewalt mm-hmm. you know that sister man that's my girl man marcy was like she would t- she would challenge me to say okay if you get x yeah and this is a peer mm-hmm. what's that really gonna do for you mm-hmm. like are you really gonna be okay or is this just really about your pride right right you know, so- and that's a plan <laughs> You need somebody to call you on your shit. Yeah, I was like, you right. I was like, yeah, yeah, you right. I don't want you to be right, but yeah, yeah, you right. (laughs) But I think as you start to think think about the board of directors, I had people who were not all male, not all female, weren't all black, weren't all white. Like, they weren't that. I had people around me who, who recognized what I did well. And help me in areas where I needed improvement. Mm-hmm. That was the village. That was the village. That was That's the what village. we talk about all yeah. the time that is that village. village and how important it is mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. have those support structures. And talking about what we talk about a lot, we also talk about how hard it is being a brother, mm-hmm. <laughs> climbing the ladder in corporate America, right? And that's, that's definitely a journey. And it's like 
going up the Swiss Alps <laughs> and then crashing the Death Valley right, sometimes, right, right. right? You know what I'm saying? So can you talk about maybe one or two of those difficult moments that you faced along your career journey and how you overcame that? And what was that like for you? You know, I think, I think it's like when you get like a new car or you get a new home mm-hmm. and everything is cool. You in there and then your shit needs to be fixed. Yeah. You be like, mm-hmm. damn, you know, and then you, you figure out how much it's going to cost to fix that. Then you're like, man, maybe I just ride around with these dents. Right. Okay. <laughs> or maybe we just won't use the air conditioner for a while. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like it's stuff like that. Like that's where I think those are how I kind of looked at my career. Yeah. Sometimes you hit a bump and you say, do I have to fix that right now? Mm-hmm. Can I get around that? Do I, you know, can I put a Band-Aid on that mm-hmm. or do I have to buy something new? Yeah. And I look at like, I've had some situations where maybe the org structure changed. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's and happened to all of us. You have to do some, some self-reflection mm-hmm. and say, okay, how does this really impact me? Mm-hmm. Am I starting over? Right. Right. Okay. Is it still going to get me where I really want to be? Do I do I still have the same influencers who can advocate for me when I'm not in the room? Mm-hmm. So I've had some situations like that where I was still able to maneuver and it didn't negatively impact me. Mm-hmm. But I had some where it did negatively impact me. Mm-hmm. And at that point, as we talk about your marketing collateral and all of this other stuff, it's a crime. For you to kind of get caught with your pants down like yep, that. Yeah, you know, like yep. you have to anticipate as much as you love the organization, you got to anticipate. And look, you and I were both in a situation like that where we knew at the end of the day, we knew why we were at the organization. Yep. We knew they were fresh out of bankruptcy and we knew that they wanted to be acquired at some mm-hmm, point. So mm-hmm. if you know that. Right. You got to like be realistic, yeah. you know, about stuff. So yeah. I think those are some obstacles where it's like, ooh, I wish I could stay here a little bit longer. Ooh, if I could just get this thing. But ultimately, you can only control what you can control. Yep. I've had other situations where I've worked with um, with some leaders that we probably didn't really see eye to eye yeah. at first. Yep. And we had some real serious conversations Knock about what it's yep. going to take to kind of get to the next level. I mean, I remember... Working earlier in my career, and I asked one of the leaders, like, well, why are you spending all this time doing the diversity stuff and this, that, and the other? And I said, like, well, I'm trying to make sure that we're going to be an employer of choice. You mm-hmm. know, I'm looking mm-hmm. to the future, and I'm saying these are the things that's important. And he said to me, I mean, we really just don't – We that's really not a priority for us in terms of being a, uh, an employer of choice. Mm. We just okay. want to get some of these things off the off the ground. Check in the box. Uh, cool. But, okay. but again, philosophically – I didn't agree with that. I didn't agree with that. So then you got to decide if you're going to stay. Yeah. You're going to go. Is it about the money? Is mm-hmm. it about the comfort level? Are you ready to leave? You know, this, that, and that. So it's not personal. Right. At the end of the day, that's a decision. And I appreciated him, him telling me that because now mm-hmm. I can make my own move. Yeah. Okay. I had another situation where I did talk to a leader and we just weren't on the same you page. Just, just couldn't. And, and I was yeah. trying to find my space on the team. And it was like, we had a conversation and he said, hey, we're just not getting what we need. I, I don't really hear your opinion and this, that and the other. And I don't know if this is working. And I said and it was and I think that was one of those wake up moments for me where I said, you know what? This isn't working. And I said it out loud. Mm-hmm. Normally, I probably wouldn't even say that. That's right. And I was like, this is why it's not working for me. And I gave him some examples of when I came up with ideas mm-hmm. and he just said, no, he just went on and did something else. Yeah. You know, like we, yeah. we, we we talked about that. 
And then I said there were some other times where I felt like as I was um, speaking about things, he he just just kind of like dismissed me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, OK, OK, like totally cool. So we talked about that. But the other part was you think we're like an employer of choice, like people want to work for us. But I was like, look at your leadership team. With the exception of me, there's nobody else. Right. Only everybody. And, and I walked through. We had this person who left, you know, mm-hmm. who was a BIPOC, mm-hmm. and we filled it with a white man. Yeah. We had this person that left right here, mm-hmm. we filled it with another white man. Like, mm-hmm. people are watching. The streets watch is talking. That. The oh, streets yes. is talking. That's right. We can see. <laughs> the streets are talking. We may not say anything, but our eyes. Yeah, so the streets is talking. So basically, when I when I said that, I mean, this leader was like, damn, I didn't mm-hmm. really think about it like that. Yeah, and he saw it. me yeah. differently. <laughs> And to this day, me and that leader are super cool mm-hmm. because it's like he probably never had anyone that just pointed out to him. Like he's used to kind of telling people stuff and blah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then finally, I'll say I had like another leader where first time leader leading at this level and mm-hmm. this thing. And, and I've and if we're talking about receipts, right. like I've been with leaders and you, and you have too, who have gone on to do like tremendous things oh, so going on to be absolutely. ceos and this that and the other so at the end of the day that work that growing up that building of that leader didn't happen on its own no not at all not <laughs> you at know all. like and there are people who are there they need functional leaders finance leaders who are helping them deliver on targets mm-hmm. you know hr leaders who are helping you get those engagement scores and right. all of those Talent other things all of those things kind of done I just realized me and that leader just didn't see eye to eye. We had some conversations about it and didn't it didn't click. feel like it was going to change. Didn't click. And you feel like, hey, I don't really want to raise another kid. <laughs> you That's know what right. I'm saying? So it's like, <laughs> so, so those are some of those times where I felt like those were that mountain that I had to climb or like within that journey. So sometimes it worked out well. Other times I had to make the decision to kind of do something different. If you're going to do something different. And that leads me to the next question. Because mm-hmm. we, we talked about this in episode five, when being strategic about how and when you exit and, and being strategic about having an exit plan and when you decide to mm-hmm. leave because it ain't right for you. So could you talk about some of the consideration points for you when deciding to pursue this opportunity as the chief people officer? At WISC, or you can go back to another example as well, just in terms of what were just some of your considerations as you started to think about moving? Because again, you're in a you were in a very good situation. It wasn't <laughs> like yeah, yeah, you but... were struggling or any disliked or someone was trying to push you out or anything like that. So I'm sure this wasn't an easy choice for you. But no. but I know there's considerations that kind of went into why this was the time. The best way of putting this for me is. I have aspirations, yeah. mm-hmm. okay, and, and I have a time frame mm-hmm. associated with achieving my aspirations. Sure. Mm-hmm. And my situation with my current employer was fabulous. Yeah. Like it was, couldn't ask for nothing else. I love my coworkers. A lot of them are some of my really good friends. I mean, hell, Keith, you know a lot of them. I you do. know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but I'm telling you, like, we have fun. But when I think about the ultimate aspiration, I knew coming into the company, well, and let me back up. The ultimate aspiration was to be a chief HR officer chief for, HR for officer. a publicly traded organization. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like that's, yep. Yep. you know, once I do that, we can figure out what's next, you right. know, in my, in my career. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was the goal. Right. So in, before I had the opportunity to come on board with this organization, well, not even WISC, but before I came on board with Medtronic, Mm -hmm. I had multiple scenarios that I was mulling over, okay? We had 
the HR leader for a professional basketball team we yep. talked about. Yep. We had another healthcare organization. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. had a large credit card company. Like yep. we had multiple things that were happening at the same time. And I made a choice yes. to kind of go to the organization that I went to, to mm-hmm. Medtronic at the time. Mm-hmm. But I knew coming on board that I wasn't going to be the next chief HR officer. Yeah, yeah. So I did not have any dreams of grandeur. I wasn't like, yep. oh man, they doing me wrong. Or, right. You know, this yep. stuff. The other mm-hmm. thing was like, hey, let me see. You're building your muscle still. Let me see if I can get in here and make some things happen. Let me see if I can make a difference. Mm-hmm. Let me see if I can do this. And time flies by when you're really getting after it, yeah. right? And I'm just, I'm bringing people to the company. We're like doing some things. We're winning awards. All of this stuff, you know, it's great. But I started kind of going back to like that. You get that itch, right? Mm-hmm. When you're like, and make no mistake about it. I mean, I get a lot of opportunities yeah, that come yeah, my yeah. way. We both do. Yep. And this is why we tell That's y'all right. that LinkedIn shit is important. That's right. Okay. That's so right. I get people reaching out to me often. Yes. Okay. And most times it's like, I'm just really busy. I don't have time to follow up. Mm-hmm. But I think that in the grand scheme of things is this last year, you look at the pandemic you look at the social unrest. Then I look personally with my father passing away. All of these things, I'm like, mm-hmm. if I'm going to be great, if I'm going to like really see if I can do it, now's the time. I'm gonna have to bet on myself at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. I think for me to be able to be a chief in a time frame that was suitable to me, I knew I was gonna have to go external. Mm-hmm. You know, to be able to do that and staying with the organization mm-hmm. longer wasn't gonna get me closer to doing that mm-hmm. because I was still gonna be faced with questions like, "Yeah, but you haven't really done it yet. Yeah, you yeah. haven't really been the main person that the board is talking mm-hmm. to. You haven't really, yep. you know, X. Mm-hmm. You know." So I think at the end of the day, those were some major factors for me, and I don't want to work forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. I'm like, let me go ahead and knock this Let's out. Let's go try it. Yeah, Let's let me go ahead up. and knock this out now. And I think that was mainly some of the things that mm-hmm. influenced me. And I felt like I was leaving. If I were to leave, right. now would be the good time. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was in good standings with the organization. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't secretive. Like, I had right. spoken to the organization and said, hey, you know, eventually we're going to have to have this discussion. Yes. Yep. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. like I don't want to put the company in a bad situation or anything right. like that. But eventually we're going to have to have this discussion. Mm-hmm. So I felt like, again, if you're betting on yourself. That's right. Like my it's man got- said at the, uh, when, when we were talking about uh, going to college. Hey, college ain't for everybody. Well, you know what? Let me try myself and see. I'll you know see. what I'm saying? I'll t- like, I'll test hey, it. you might not be able to play football in college. Okay, let me try myself and see. Mm-hmm. You know, men aren't really in HR. Let me try myself and see. And this is really it for me is betting on myself. Yeah, it's great. And sometimes you have to do that. I think the key thing that I heard out of that, I mean, it was you're strategic about it, right? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. thought it out, it was planned out, and you made it happen. So as you move into this new role, Chief People Officer. Yep, yep. Chief People Officer. What are you excited about and what are you a little nervous about? Yeah, so I'm excited about the industry, Mm -hmm. you know, itself, right? I mean, we're talking about autonomous air taxis. We're talking about a company backed by Boeing and Kitty Hawk. So, I mean, it's it's a big deal. Like, so it's not Mm -hmm. like a small scenario that might not make it. Like, there is no plan B, like if it doesn't make it, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm excited about, again, taking a show on the road, man, being able to kind of grow something from from its infancy stage to some degree mm-hmm. and scaling it and being able to call it my own. Yep. I'm excited about being able to grow 
a new crop of leaders and mm-hmm. to be able to introduce, you know, other people to our philosophy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm excited about getting with the CEO, the other leaders and the, the board of directors and building out what they would like their legacy to be, mm-hmm. you know, trying to do that. Like that type of stuff is important to me. So I'm excited about that. I mean, mm-hmm. and you know me, I'm a STEM kid at heart anyways. I'm <laughs> I, I'm a geek out to this stuff, man. I'm, I'm going to definitely get in there and learn what I don't know and, and ask questions and, and make it my own. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so I think that's what I'm excited about. In terms of probably what I'm a little nervous about mm-hmm. is, I mean, I think there's always a little nervous energy in terms of, the unknown. Yes. Yeah. You, you just know, don't know like, what you're, you're like, into. man, I, I, I've never been in that industry, but yes. I think the thing that gives me comfort is the learning agility. Yes. Right. I, I can't tell you too many things that I failed in. Mm-hmm. I might've been nervous going in there, but man, I'm gonna work hard. That's yes. just how, I, that's how I am. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like I'm gonna work hard. So I'm, I'm a little nervous about the unknown. I'm a little nervous about you know, I think it's always when you come into a new organization that's trying to right size people's expectations. We want to be great. We want to do this. We will. Yes. And it's kind of like that boil in the ocean. Mm-hmm. You know, think again. We mm-hmm. might have to like start with a little cup. Right. You know, over here. We then we move to a little pot. You know, right. then we move to the to the gumbo cauldron. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Then mm-hmm. we move a little uh, further on. But I think those are some of the things I'm probably a little apprehensive or nervous. Yeah. You yeah. know about like I'm not worried about failing. I'm not worried about because. Managing people is managing people. Yeah, it is. And it's like, again, everywhere we've gone, Keith, you've seen it, man. It's not a secret. We got receipts. We got receipts. (laughs) We got receipts. We got receipts. So I'm not worried about that. But again, it's again, right-sizing people's expectations because Rome wasn't built in a day. No, it sure wasn't. It takes time. The interesting thing about being a chief is that, especially the first time that you get it, is like, there's no one else above above you to kind mm-hmm, of, in mm-hmm. that function to kind of like make that decision. You are right. the person. Now, yeah, yeah, right? absolutely. And so that's always a little nerve wracking. But I know you're going to do great with that. So you talked a little bit about legacy. And again, we always talk about on Secrets, the struggles for BIPOC and other underrepresented people reaching the top. You're there now. What would you want your legacy to be? Yeah, Keith, great question, because for me. I'm the type of person, I do what needs to be done because it needs to be done. Yeah. I'm not doing it to get awards, you know, recognition. I just want to be able to touch as many people as I possibly can. That's why we even started Secrets, That's why we man. started it. That's it's because I just felt like, again, it was just so hard for us to talk to the five or ten people that we can talk to in the course of a week or mm-hmm. a few days or something like that. I want to be able to reach as many people as I can. Yep. So my legacy, I want to be able to be known as someone who gave all he had to be able to help everybody, Yeah, you know, be able to get to the top. I want to be known as a fair, equitable leader. I want to be known as the resident thought leader when it comes to that equity work, when Mm -hmm. it comes to scaling organizations to get to a certain level. Like, I want to be that guy, you know, like I think that's, you know, so legacy for me is, Ultimately, I want to be, we talk about, people keep asking us, Keith, when we're going to write the book. You know what I'm saying? Y'all watch out. Y'all watch out. What I want to do is when I say, when I make a comment, when I do something, I want people to listen. Mm -hmm. You know, I want people to take it serious. And I think ultimately my legacy is this dude went out there and he laid it on the field. Like, I don't mind there being other people who lead like me, but I'm, I'm cognizant 
that there is no other Ricky. Yeah. Like I'm I'm yeah. super cognizant of that. I know I'm different. I'm okay with that. That's right. <laughs> you know, but I want to make sure that I can touch and impact as many people as possible. I don't want it to be companies that I'm at we're talking about why diversity is an issue, right. why we can't hire. Like my man said, it ain't that hard. That's not that hard. That's <laughs> you know? not that hard. So I, I really want to be that person who put the livelihood, the uh, community, the village before me. And I, I was able to kind of leave everything I had out there. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. And speaking of there's only one Ricky out there, <laughs> <laughs> we, we going to do some receipts. Got it. Got it. Yep. Yep. Like we did with Anton. Uh-huh. Ricky's also a unicorn, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to share some receipts. So today we'll share some receipts on diversity representation in the uh, chief HR roles where chief HR officers spend their time, how they're sourced. What do they do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's their importance? So receipt number one, according to the 2020 HR at Moore survey of chief human resource officers, the S&P 500, in the S&P 500, CHROs are almost 90% white. Mm. They're 6.7% black and 3.5% other. Okay, marinate in that. And additionally, <laughs> the S&P 500 shows that white females comprise 60% of chief HR officers. White males are 29%. Black females, 5%. Black males, 2%. And then other makes up 3% female and 1% male. So you in that 2%. Yeah. All right, Keith. You over here trying to make me feel special. <laughs> I, yeah. You over here trying to make me feel special. Ricky but, is a unicorn. But but no, I, I completely understand that. And and it's almost like the audacity of the dream. So, yes. so as people are saying, why? I mean, I got to bet on myself. When you know you probably have something mm-hmm. that's different, I feel like it would probably be a crime for me not to share it. Right. Not to try to maximize my potential. It. Mm-hmm. Receipt number two. In that same survey, Keith, it showed that CHROs report spending the most time in the HR function leader role, although that seems to be slightly decreasing from 24% in 2016 to 21% this year. Okay, 21%. Yeah. Okay. CHROs reported spending 19% of their time in the strategic advisor role. of their time in the talent architect role and just under 15% in the counselor or confidant coach role Mm -hmm. and 11% in the board liaison. So when you think about like the things that, you know, some of my special powers, I'm doing all this stuff. You're doing all this stuff. That's right. (laughs) I'm doing all of this this stuff. This is what you're on the hook for. Right. right. Receipt number three, chief HR officers continue to predominantly enter the role directly through outside hires, mm-hmm. just like you. Yep. Right. For the most part, HR officers, chief HR officers are hired from the outside. And this percentage this past year was higher than ever before at 64%. Wow. So 64% of people who are landing these roles are coming in from the outside. Mm-hmm. Where on the other hand, if someone like me who's CFO, we predominantly enter a CFO role from within. Yeah. So over half of those roles are promoted from within and CEOs are predominantly promoted with from within with 76 percent of CEOs being uh, promoted internally. Which is crazy when you think about like I know some people want to be destinations for talent. Yes. But the reality is, is we're probably cultivators of talent based off of the function. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're saying it's 
unlikely sometimes mm-hmm. that the HR leader is going to like based off of the statistics. It's unlikely that that CHRO is going to come from internal, internal. J- just like you said, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. You knew that even walking in the door. Yeah, I that mean, if you weren't hired to be the CHRO, your chances of getting that within. So again, as some of the leaders are like, "Oh, why are you leaving? Oh, why are you doing this?" Man, I'm looking at the numbers. I'm looking at the numbers. That t- like, I, you can't get blinded by your own right. aspirations to say, but I could probably do it here. And you probably can. You probably can. But, but it might take you some extra time, whereas you can go sit in the function now. You might be able to come back. Right. You don't know, exactly. but, but you got to go sit in the function. You got to mm-hmm. be able to do it. As opposed to in finance, in as finance. we're talking about, like, that's homegrown talent. Homegrown talent. That's homegrown and, talent. And even with the CEO, even more so. Oh, yeah. Def- right. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think that's extremely huge there. So, look, the last receipt, number four here, in a recent Corn Ferry survey, it pointed out to the critical role that CHROs will play in the future. Mm-hmm. Key areas include talent management, strategic partnership with the CEO, digital transformation, and creating a purpose-driven organization. Mm-hmm. Again, we keep talking about the things that secret powers and the things that I do well. I spent a lot of time in those areas. In those areas. That's right. A lot of time mm-hmm. in those areas. And we're talking strategic time Yes, in those areas. So that means crafting up the formula, crafting up the design, yes. and utilizing your team or your resources to tactically execute against that strategy. Yep, absolutely. And you got the receipts to prove it. Yeah. You wouldn't have gotten this role without the receipts. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we'll exactly. pivot now from the receipts to the secrets for today. Okay. And so today I'm just handing the mic over to Ricky, and he's going to share, I think, five or so secrets with you on how you can become a CHRO and be that top organizational HR leader. So, Ricky, why don't you just give our listeners some secrets on how you did this? I think this is extremely important to to know that this worked for me, Mm -hmm. okay? And I think that you can probably use this information with other organizations or in other functions, you know, I'll say. And I think, well, the first secret is to be intentional about creating your board of directors, Yep. okay? okay? And I think through, I was extremely intentional you know, about making sure that I had the right people that could give me real feedback. Real, that unvarnished advice we talked that about. That real last feedback. Episode, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, I think that's extremely important. Like, I don't claim to have all the answers and I don't always get an A plus. Right. You know, when mm-hmm. I'm in front of the room or this, that, and the other, but I, you definitely don't want to be getting Fs. Right. So, but I think I use my board of directors to help me be able to start from a good point yes so that i can maneuver from there but also to talk about my ultimate aspirations and hey am i on the right track Mm -hmm. or hey what else would you do i I go through things with them hey this is a situation this is how i'm writing my review or this is how i'm setting up my development plan yep that board of directors is honest Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what i'm saying like they tell you what you need to know absolutely so i think a good one does yeah so i think that's important so i was intentional about creating my board of directors. And, and and I think even part of that is people who could advocate for me yeah. when I wasn't in the room or people who could make other phone calls and say, hey, well, call such and such as this organization yeah. and spend some time with them. So it wasn't all internal, mm-hmm. you know, that I had mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I think the second secret that I would recommend because it worked for me was be conscious of your overall brand internally and externally. Okay, brand meaning... Do you get work done when you're asked to get it done? Sure. Do you deliver? Like, that's the table stakes. Over deliver. Yeah, that's the table stakes is getting your job done. Right. Okay. But more importantly, 
I ask people all the time, what boards do you sit on? Ah, oh, well, I haven't really had a chance to sit on no boards. You mm-hmm. know, I had a, and that's cool. That's that's good. But leaders are more involved in just the job. Yes. Like they're in jo- involved right. in the community in, the in which, community. That's in which right. they are operating. That's right. Or the industry in which their company yeah. works in. Right, yep. right. So I think I was really intentional about my brand. I was somebody that people could go to within an organization. People asked me for advice. I give them the truth and I help them get over the hump. Like it's people who had never been at the director level. I'm helping them get to the director level. Yeah. I'm in those meetings advocating for folks. I'm showing people. I'm the one showing up at conferences and this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that was important. Like, that's your brand. I'm representing myself and the organization. Yep. And I think that externally, I mean, again, sitting on boards. Sitting I mean, on boards. Sitting on some of them boards and figuring out how do people interact, you know, with the board. Like, mm-hmm. what is it like to lead a project? How do people lean on you for your expertise? Yep. Like, all of those types of things. And I think, lastly, we talk about this all the time, being a thought partner. Yeah. When people reach out to me about roles... Nine times out of 10, I'm probably not, you know, I'll listen. Right. But not for me. I'm listening to see who can who, I afford this on to. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And, who, and I think That's people, well. end up, people end up coming to you and I, Keith, for us to be able to put them in line with somebody else. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we both get called every week. Yeah. I get an email every week with some opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, it's all about helping others as well. Yeah, and I think it might have even been, as we're talking about, this might have been you, Keith, in the conversation we was having over here before recording, and you was looking at my LinkedIn, you was like, when you going to call these people back? I've been, they, This message been in here for a minute. <laughs> so I was like, ah, oh, man, he's like, man, how are you going to be giving people advice so you don't take it yourself? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Eat your own dog food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so no, but, but I think being conscious of my overall brand internally and externally was important. I think the third secret is keep score. Like, keep score on your accomplishments and learn how to articulate those accomplishments. Yes, yes, yes. So, again, people are like, oh, they talk about how hard they worked, mm-hmm. but they don't talk about the results. Yeah, that, those receipts. Like, the, right. the E for effort, that don't get you where you right. need to go. No, no, show me the scoreboard. Yeah. I'm always cognizant of, and I know everyone's company is situated differently, but- there's an impact that you have on your function. Mm-hmm. We keep score there. Yeah. Okay. There's impact that you might have on your division or the leader that you support. And we keep score there. Mm-hmm. Then there is impact that you might have on the enterprise or the actual organization. Yep. We keep score there. Yep. And you got to be comfortable being able to talk about what you did mm-hmm. or what you drove or how you're doing that. So what's your engagement scores? How many people have you hired within your division? How many people have you helped get promoted? What projects are you on to kind of move the needle? Mm-hmm. Like some of those things, That's right. you know, are important. But I think that was important for me because there was a time in my career when I used to just work behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. But then people kind of misconstrue, you're not yeah. really working hard. Yeah, you're not exactly. really doing anything. I'm like, mm, you think this mm-hmm. shit getting done on its own? Right. Like, let's. Right. Uh, so, but I, again, Things change when I really start being vocal Mm -hmm. and intentional about that. Mm -hmm. Secret number four for me was don't be afraid to understand your market value. Mm -hmm. Again, you may think you need to do this for seven years before you can do the next thing. Right. And some people might be looking at you after only doing it for three. Mm -hmm. Okay. And saying, hey, would you consider? Mm -hmm. Okay. Or 
what is it like what is it gonna cost you right you know right now is this like a bunch of travel if it's this that and the other and if so how is it going to benefit you mm -hmm. and that's understanding what do people in chro roles make what about cfo roles because right. everything is not created equal no no who who do you report into mm -hmm. are you reporting into somebody else or are you reporting into ceo mm -hmm. are you doing some of these things i think those are some things when you try to understand the market the landscape yeah you know are important because again people are gonna be talking to you mm -hmm. okay and you got to be able to figure out how to answer those questions yep. so i think understanding the market value was important to me you know also and I think the last thing and the most important piece here in terms of a secret was mm -hmm. I had to just understand what was the end game. Yep. What is it that I really want to do or what do I want to be when I grow up? Yep. And I had to come back to, hey, for me personally, I want to be a chief. Yeah. So in terms of being the chief, what you need to do to get to the chief level? Mm -hmm. What all needs to be true? What all needs to be true? <laughs> for you to That's get right. to the chief <laughs> you know, right. level, you know? And I think understanding like the end game there's an expiration date on that. Yeah. You know, like there's there's some things that you need to do. And, and that's some, again, a self-discovery. If you don't get it done by a certain amount of time, you have to be okay with not being able. Not being able to get there. Yeah. You mm -hmm. got to be okay with that. But I think those five secrets, man, were key for me to mm -hmm. get to where I am. But I think will help others get to where they want to be just by doing the same Absolutely. That's stuff. great advice. So it's not even HR specific. I mean, that's great advice for everybody. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I really appreciate you being able to use our 50th episode to speak about your journey today mm -hmm. and, and how you're able to do what you have done. And, and it's really, really great. Again, just very, very proud of you reaching this level. I'm blessed. <laughs> and when I say I'm appreciative, I mean, I'm blessed because I have an amazing group of people around me. I didn't do this on my own. I mean, I had an outstanding team, mm -hmm. you know, and I think about all of the folks who've worked with me, you know, to help me get to this level and to keep me honest. When mm -hmm. I think about the Yvonne's, the Parag's, the Kuyana's, the, you know, like it's so many folks yeah. who've kind of helped me along the way. I think this stuff is important, man. So, so I'm, I'm feeling good about it and I appreciate having this platform for our 50th episode to be able to just talk about this journey. Yeah, for sure. And again, we'll have resources as we <laughs> usually do on our website, go to secrets.com, look in those show notes that Janelle does for us all the time. It won't be all about Ricky. We're going to talk about just <laughs> CHR roles and everything else. Yep. And again, congratulations on your elevation to being the chief people officer at risk. Again, I'm so, 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 so proud of you. Shout out to all of our listeners out there, our fans. You guys are helping us crush it. We are excited about the numbers that we're seeing. You've all made all of this possible. And we, again, we told you season three wasn't going to disappoint, <laughs> right? We just, we're bringing it to you this year. So you're getting all the juice this year from all of these very, very senior people yeah. this year. And we got more for you coming. So don't worry. We got more coming. And be sure to write a review on Apple. Visit us on Patreon to get some of that behind the scenes content because we're, we're loading up on Patreon uh, right now to bring more to you. Yep. And look, KP, again, I can't overstate this, but I really appreciate this opportunity today. I appreciate our fans, man. I can't believe we're on episode number 50. We've been on this journey, man, and it's moving it's crazy. fast, you it's know. Crazy. We have a lot of fun on this podcast, I think, as you all can see. But we also want to help you get what you deserve. 
Okay, so mm -hmm. check out our coaching services and our new online course coming soon. Uh, we're going to have some resume services that we were just working on today mm -hmm. to be able to help some folks out, right? Yeah. And we just added some new merchandise, as Keith was kind of mentioning to a little bit there, yeah. but we got some new merchandise designs as well. So check us out. This would not be possible without you all. So we want to just make sure that we keep bringing you new content. We're looking for another 50 episodes. Mm -hmm. And Ricky, I just want to thank you for being a part of this journey with me, because I know that my success over the past eight years and the success of Secrets would not have been possible without you and your partnership, your friendship, your brotherhood, all of that. So no, I really appreciate I, that. I appreciate it, man. And look, I'm excited about Whisk and I'm excited about Secrets, man. Because we 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 just we're just peeling back the onion just, just a little bit we, right now. We just doing it. And look, y'all know about Big Red, right? <laughs> y'all know about Big Red. Big Red's still around, but I'm gonna just tell you, Ricky got him a nice ride. Oh, I don't man. know. We gonna call it the Silver Fox or what we gonna call that one, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was a little present to myself. A little present to myself. Because Keith did try to clown me, y'all. Keith I asked did. me. <laughs> Keith asked me, did both of my cars add up to five thousand dollars total? And I said, well, when I got him, yeah. And he was like, no, now you know what I'm asking you. I was like, yeah. He clowned me. So he's like, man, you can't go up in there on that job on the first day looking like that, man. That's right. So I, I stepped my game. <laughs> he stepped his game up. <laughs> so it's all good. But we're gonna end this episode. I'm gonna raise my nearly empty glass to you, Ricky, and to your continued success as you move on to bigger and better things. Cheers, my brother. And again, everyone, thanks for listening to The Secrets. And remember, when we share, you transform. Peace. Thank you. Out. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed yet another gem from KP and PR. In fact, one listener said that Secrets makes me smarter every time I listen, and we hope you agree. If you are motivated and excited after listening to Keith and Ricky, please subscribe to our podcast, share with friends, and donate via Patreon. Check us out on the web at www.secrets.com. That's www.c-crets.com to get more information about our secret services. Until next time, cheers! <laughs>